Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study, and I'm so glad that you are here today. Now, today, I would like for us to discuss the subject of achieving giant killer status. Woo! Watch out! Amen. You're going to be a dangerous person by the end of this message, very dangerous to the enemy and a great victor in the camp of the Lord. Praise God. Now, before we jump into today's message, let us first pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would quicken it, make it alive to us so that it is spiritual food that we can consume. We thank you, Father, that your word builds faith. Let there be an, an explosion and a rising of faith within our hearts today. We thank you for this. Let us be hearers and doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we say amen. Now, before we jump into today's message, let me first of all say that in September, only a few weeks away, I will be ministering in London, England. So if you are in the UK or just maybe in Europe itself and you want to come on over and get into the, some of the good things of God and uh, enjoy the Lord's presence, I will not only be preaching and teaching, but I'll also be ministering in the Holy Spirit. Those dates are September 22nd, and that's a Friday, and that meeting begins at 6 o'clock in the evening, and then I'm also ministering on Saturday, which is the 23rd, and that's uh, beginning at 12 o'clock, okay? And then on the 24th, which is a Sunday morning, I'm ministering beginning at 10 o'clock in the morning. Woo! Praise the Lord. Uh, the address, 100 New Road, Dagenham, and of course Dagenham is in East London, as many of you Londoners would know. The zip code, RM96YJ. Now, at the end of this message, I will roll a short video and uh, it'll give more information about the upcoming meetings in London, England. I'd love to see you there. All of my partners in the UK, and uh, we even have online church members in the UK, and or if you're in Europe somewhere, maybe Germany or something like that, you want to come on out, come on over. We'll jump into these meetings with us and let the Holy Spirit touch you. I believe it's going to be a wonderful time in the Lord. Praise God. And also, uh, you know, Pastor Kelly and I, we just love meeting our online church members, and we love meeting our ministry partners in person. So if you're in UK or London, come on out or from whatever, uh, come on, jump into the meetings. Praise the Lord. Now, uh, also, we should, at this time, I believe, I didn't quite check before uh, coming on the air, we should have now the Israel uh, tour for 2024 on our website. So those of you that want more information or you just want to go ahead and sign up right now, you can. You can get registered right now. Please go to stephenbrooks.org. That's our ministry website, the first slider. The first thing you'll see when you go to the landing page on our website is the promo for the Israel tour. And uh, we've got the full brochure up and we've got the registration link up and you can go ahead and get registered right now for $300 that secures uh, your registration, gets you moving forward. Now, uh, this has been a record-breaking year of tourism for Israel. And I'm not over-exaggerating. Millions and millions of tourists are going to Israel. And we had a tremendous tour earlier uh, this year. But we're going back. And uh, this time, we've uh, secured the rabbi tunnels. So we'll be, we'll be going underneath uh, uh, the, uh, very select areas of Jerusalem. And you'll even see one of the most amazing things to me, some of the um, uh, key foundation blocks of the retaining wall that are deep, deep beneath the surface of the earth. We'll go down to them, and you'll be stunned at the size of these blocks that King Herod uh, used to build the retaining wall to hold in all of the backfill, all of the dirt that he used to widen and to enlarge uh, what we know as the Temple Mount. Wow, praise the Lord. It's absolutely incredible. It is very, very difficult to secure hotel rooms in Israel because the tourism is, is off the charts, but we've got, 
the tour secured. We've got the rooms secured, and we will be staying in one of the most beautiful hotels in Jerusalem. Now, we'll be, of course, in Galilee and many other areas, but our stay in Jerusalem, uh, we have secured one of the most beautiful hotels. This is the tour. If you've ever wanted to go to Israel and you want to do it right, this is the tour. And let me say this, that not all tours by any means are created equal. I have met quite a few people over the years who've taken other tours, perhaps with other groups or whatever, and they've had some really bad experiences. They've stayed in some really dumpy hotels. <laughs> but we don't do that. Everything is very nice. Those of you that have gone before, you know, uh, they're all excellent wonderful hotels, and it really is the best of Israel. Go on over to the website, stephenbrooks.org, and check out our 2024 Israel tour at the latter part of April into the early part of May. It's going to be fantastic. I'd love to meet you in the Holy Land. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, thank you for your patience. Let us now jump into 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to extract uh, some nuggets from the Bible concerning the epic battle between uh, David, the shepherd boy, who will one day be the king over the whole nation of Israel as he goes up against a very uh, formidable opponent, Goliath himself. Now, let's drop down to verse 36. Your servant, uh, this would be David, uh, talking to King Saul, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Now, we all are on different levels of faith, and that's normal. That, that's okay. Not everybody has great faith. We recognize that. And uh, the flip side of that would be that not everybody has weak faith or small faith. Some people are on the maybe lower level, lower spectrum. Some could be in the middle. And you do find those at times that would be classified, as Jesus would say, to only a couple but he said to a few, you have great faith. Woo, praise the Lord. Now, faith is something that we're supposed to grow in. And that's actually uh, very scriptural in many ways. We go from glory to glory, but we also go from faith to faith. Your faith gets stronger. You develop your faith, and you could do the same thing with your muscles or with your endurance or whatever it might be. Even you could develop intellect. Many times, um, uh, some people are celebrated in science or maybe in music, and we say they have a great intellect. But a lot of times there's a lot of practice. Even Bach said that he practiced the piano for five hours every day. Now, people attribute his music and all of that to genius, but <laughs> you can't skip over uh all of the effort he did every day of practicing. So there is growth. And just as you can grow in those areas, you can grow your faith. And David killed a lion that was running off with one of its sheep in its mouth. And David caught up and it sounds like he just clubbed the thing to death. I mean, uh, uh, so these animals would turn on him and he killed a bear also. And I would say that as far as brute force and power, uh, the lion, uh, although he's very agile and strong, but the bear is going to a different level of like brute strength. But he killed the bear too. Wow. And he's taking these little sheep out of these animals' mouths, and uh, it's really phenomenal. So he's up now. He's going up against Goliath. And really, uh, I, I wouldn't call it the sales pitch, but this is the thing that convinced Saul, uh, I'm going to let this guy go for it. Why? Well, people say, you know, Saul like chickened out. Well, not really. I mean, Saul, what, at the tallest? I mean, we know that he was, it says, head and shoulders above everybody else. So what if Saul's 6'6"? Uh, that's nothing compared to the dude that's standing out there named Goliath. I'll talk a little bit more about him in just a moment. So uh, Saul also realized, hey, this is beyond his physical ability. But David... Wow, he's ready. It's just another, it's the next level, and he's ready for it. Praise God. So I believe that for many of you, you're, you have been developing and focusing your faith, and uh, you can make some really big step ups <laughs> in, in your faith. Lion, bear, uh, a giant, wow, praise the Lord, amen. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I've, I have heard Hebrew scholars that, that have said that that spear that Goliath held was it was probably 26 feet long. Okay, so 10 feet is the height of a basketball goal. 
in like the you know NBA, but a spear that's two and a half times tall as tall as that, a twenty six foot long spear. Yes, and it was heavy too. So uh, this is the next level. But he's ready. Mm-mm. Now, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. So that really was the thing that Saul said, okay, he's, he's not a rookie. Uh, he's young, but this, this kid, is uh, he's got something going on here. And there is something to say for, as they would maybe say in the music industry, paying your dues. That's, that's true in any career field. If you're going to go up, you, you, uh, even with the anointing and even with the Spirit and even with the, the grace of God, God will still take you um, along that course so you are very well acquainted with it. Yeah, you can skip some degrees. You can take some big steps at times. But still, God's going to let you um, know exactly uh, what you're into and what that atmosphere is. Praise the Lord. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And he's probably thinking, thank God I'm getting bailed out of this one. Because you know the pressure on Saul must have been incredible because he was the tallest. <laughs> and there's not like a lot of the soldiers have any even weaponry because the Philistines have already stripped them uh, you know, of their ability to work with metal or even to get their hands on it. So it was a very, very low time for God's people. Now, let's get to verse 38 and start digging into how to become a legitimate, authentic, I'm talking real-life, modern-day giant killer. So Saul clothed David with with his armor. Now, notice, first of all, that Saul clothed David. Uh, this wasn't even David's idea to start putting all of this stuff on, but that's how the system works. The system wants to mold you. It's the mindset of maybe those who have been before you, and maybe they think this is the way we do it because this is the way I did it, and uh, that could be good, but it could also be rigid, and what worked for them doesn't work for you because, as we all know, one size doesn't fit all. So here we see that Saul clothed David. Let me know, uh, let me let you know right now, as you're going to go up against whatever the giant in your life is, is that religion, which is what Saul was a type of, um, religion will try to clothe you with uh, its own system and does not want you to uh, select what works best for you. I mean, I've seen it uh, even within the church itself. Now, I grew up in a a denomination, I guess you could call it mainline, although it's not as mainline as like Baptist or, uh, you know, or a Presbyterian or something like that, a smaller denomination, but it was still mainline in some ways. But I, I do know that those that felt the call of God into ministry, uh, they were simply known as preachers, but they had uh, what they would call preacher schools. And sure, you could call it like a Bible school or a seminary, uh, but they really just called it preacher schools. And, and some of the co- colleges within this denomination, uh, they would try to train you maybe a little more uh, scholastically, and you know, you're going to have to learn Greek and Hebrew and stuff like that. And that, that's all good. But I tell you what, they were really, really big on pulpit etiquette. And anybody that went through within in this denomination, pretty much any preacher called to preach that's going to go through their outlets to train you and equip you, they're going to take you through courses on pulpit etiquette. And that's basically like how you actually stand in the pulpit uh, to uh, all the way down to like how you use your hands. You know, no wild expressions. You know, keep your hands, uh, you know, very, uh, everything has to be def- uh, refined and kind of like pulled in and uh, make sure your feet are pointing in the right direction and don't slouch and don't lean on the pulpit and stand kind of like a certain way and uh, look like a certain way. And by the time they've, they have done their job on you, you pop out of this cookie cutter factory a couple of years later and you're like a robot. <laughs> you've got Saul's armor all over you. 
and your own personality is completely stripped and shut down. <laughs> That's why when I was in that denomination, I mean, some of these preachers, wow, I mean, they could, they could put you to sleep. It's almost like a competition of who, who could put the audience to sleep quicker. And, um, and of course, even if you didn't fall asleep, you, you're talking high levels of boredom. There were very, very few. And um, I began to move out of that denomination when I began to get exposed to Pentecost and uh, you know the Spirit-filled experience in my early 20s. But I'll tell you this, um, up until that point, uh, it was just like a struggle in so many of the services to stay awake. And there were very, very few ministers that could hold the attention of the viewers. Um, I could really only think about maybe four of them. And I, I heard, oh, countless of them. And I, I, I do remember one, uh, one preacher in my denomination. I remember the denomination I was raised in did not believe in modern day miracles, did not believe in tongues, uh, said that tongues was of the devil, did not believe in uh, so many of the things that I believe today, you know, modern day vision, supernatural experiences, God's power to work in your life. They didn't believe in any of that. But uh, I do remember one preacher at one of these conventions that I went to uh, within my denomination, he, uh, he tried to be at least a little more energetic. And he, he must have been watching some Pentecostal preachers. And he tried to wail his arms and swing his arms and do all of this. And I, but it didn't work. And even as little as I knew back then, it just seemed to me that this guy's in the flesh. <laughs> Why? That wasn't himself either. And if you're not in the anointing, it not only doesn't work, it can actually be like offensive. And that really was the draw to me to come into the things of what we would call Pentecost or the fear or the spirit filled experience was getting exposure to uh, classic Pentecostal type preachers because I would begin to hear them and then see them on TV. This was in the early days of Christian television and I'd watch a few of them and I'd be like, what? planet are these guys from? I've never seen anything like this in my life. And it was like electrifying. And well, what I was seeing, but not understanding was the anointing and they had found their niche and they're not copying anybody. They're being the person, the man or the woman that God called them to be with that anointing and with spit flying or with, you know, arms wailing. It was just like, you could hardly get enough of it. And you have to be very careful that you don't let Saul put his armor on you. And the, the religious system will try to do that. Uh, like, they, like for myself, the religious system would say, now don't be funny. This is the gospel. It has to be serious. But God works through me a lot of times with humor. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help it. A part of it is just my personality. And the Holy Spirit uh, taps that. And uh, it just comes out of me. Oh, no, Pastor Stephen, you can't do that. Well, look, that's just the way I am. And so that's how God has clothed me, or you could say has armored me to minister or to fight in the battles that he calls me to minister in. Woo, praise the Lord. So be aware of that. They'll try to put it on you too, uh, uh, the, the armor of the system. But you've got to be who God called you to be. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. So uh, verse 30, David, excuse me, 39, David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Now, training and equipping, of course, is good. And you need, you need to balance that to a certain degree. Uh, because that can clean some things up, but at the same time, don't let it strip you. I can't, I can't even begin to number, uh, how many young men and women I've seen go off the seminary, go off on fire for God. And, uh, four or five years later, I meet them after they've graduated from seminary and now they know Hebrew and Greek and they are so dead spiritually, but so prideful and arrogant intellectually it's just like, what happened to you? What did they do to you in there? <laughs> they sucked all of the life and all of the fire of God out of you. And now you're, you're just like an intellectual brain. And uh, you have to understand the devil has no respect. He has zero respect for that. 
And while it, in some areas, especially the areas of theology or Bible translation, much of that is needed. But uh, in real life scenarios with real life giants, uh, it doesn't move a giant one single bit. So we have to know what works and skip over all of the religiosity and get to the things that work. So um, David just took all of that stuff off. Then he took his staff in his hand. So he had a staff and this is interesting. He obviously used it to put a real whooping on the lion and the bear. Um, but you'll notice also that it appears that when he goes out into this battle against Goliath, he is carrying the staff in his hand and Goliath actually sees it. Um, now, some people that understand military tactics, they have actually said that David knew exactly what he was doing because that is a feign or that is a decoy and Goliath sees it and actually mentions it in his sarcastic talk. But David, uh, it appears that David could have like concealed the sling. Now we know he's got the shepherd's pouch and the stones are in that, but I don't think Goliath knew what was coming. And uh, so there's the distraction of the staff. And he's, of course, Goliath is not intimidated by that at all, but he doesn't know what the real weapon really is yet. And so I tell you what, you got to watch out. Uh, these uh, Jewish fellas, they're uh, pretty sharp. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if that's exactly what David was doing. And he's going to do a little feign, a little, a little bit of a, um, I'm not going to let him know what's coming until we're moving towards each other. Now, so he does uh, take his staff. Matter of fact, you'll notice uh, in, it's very interesting, verse 43. Uh, let me skip a few verses down. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So Goliath saw the shepherd's staff and uh, he said, what am I, a dog? Now, when you read the Bible, you have to realize that everything that sometimes was said or actually happened is not all put in there or, or else the Bible, which is like this thick, would be like you'd be walking around with an encyclopedia. So if you read the Jewish commentaries, particularly if you read Josephus, uh, the first century uh, Jewish historian, he uh, mentions what was recorded in a little bit of a more detail uh, and uh, of what some of the things David said. And the Jewish rabbis say that when, when Goliath said, he saw the staff, he said, what am I, a dog that you come to me with these sticks? And the rabbi said that David said, no, you're not a dog. You're actually lower than a dog. <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, there is a spirit of faith that uh, I tell you, uh, some people would think it's rude. Uh, and we don't want to ever be rude, but I tell you, faith can get very, very bold, especially in the midst of an enemy where the enemy says some very derogatory things and spirit of faith rises up and talks back very bold also. Mm -mm. We, have no, we already have enough boldness in, in the text as it is. This is just more um, a little bit extra biblical, not unbiblical, but some extra biblical things that most likely were uh, uttered during this very um, epic battle taking place here. Praise the Lord. Now, thank you, Jesus. Uh, we're going to come now to verse, well, let's go to verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with the spear, with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Praise the Lord. Well, my friends, it's very interesting, this giant. Now, I prefer to mainly teach from Bible versions that have, for the Old Testament, what is known as the Masoretic text, because I believe that's the most reliable text that we have, and the New Testament text based off the Textus Receptus. Now, there are others that became more modern, used by modern translators uh, that were based off copies that were worked on by Westcott and Hort. But if you read the life of Westcott and Hort, uh, great translators, but I don't even think those men were saved. And I'm not the only one that thinks that. So I like going with uh, translations. See, here's the thing. A person could say, this is the most literal translation of the Bible. 
Well, maybe it's translated literally from a text, but what text are they using? So that's why uh, I like going back many times to the King James Version. I, I preach and teach from the New King James Version, but I want to look at others also because, for instance, uh, depending on how a, a translation translates the cubit, uh, some people end up saying, well, Goliath, some translations are making it sound like Goliath was only like six foot eight, maybe six foot nine. But if you take the more reliable measurement of the cubit, which is what the Masoretic text does, it's putting Goliath at nine feet, nine inches tall. And I believe that's actually right at the height of where he stood. You know, back in the year 1999, I did a lot of in-depth study on giants in the earth, not only in the land of ancient Israel, but giants that had been scattered all around the world. And uh, it's, it's very interesting because today, almost all of the information that you could find on the World Wide Web back in the late 90s, it's all taken off of the internet today. If you, if you were to look for giants back in the late 1990s, it was amazing some of the images that you could pull up. And most of that, uh, even with all of the teaching lately on Nephilim and uh, things along that line, still most of that original content is no longer to be found on the internet. Uh, for example, if you were to look up, you know, uh, giants in ancient Israel, there were uh, pictures uh, uh, from archaeological digs where you could see uh, from giants that had been found around the world, even with their, uh, with their skulls, with double rows of teeth. And the teeth were razor sharp. And so these were huge creatures, sometimes over 10 feet tall, sometimes over 20 feet tall, usually with six fingers on each hand. Uh, and so, you, so you'd have 12 fingers and six toes on each foot. So all in all, you've got 24 digits, including toes and fingers, and huge size and tremendous strength. So what David is going up against really does classify as the killing of a giant. Now, verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones. He chose deliberately. He wanted stones that were smooth, that would be very aerodynamic. That also implies a little bit that they were thin. You have to understand that so many of these stone, uh, stones that were slung in battle have been found all over Israel at battle scenes, at Lachish, where there was a major battle. Uh, you, you would have the archers, but you would also have the stone slingers, and they have found these stones by the thousands. And normally, they're only about two or three inches in size, and they would be very uh, like spherical shaped, so they could fly through the air very, very easy. So David knew exactly what he wanted because he was extremely good at slinging a stone, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And that pouch was probably slung around towards the back side of him, much like those little packs you wear when you're a tourist and uh, you wear them so that nobody can steal your passport and they're buckled to your, you know, around your waist and then zip closed. And he had it in a pouch which he had and a sling was in his hand. I think it was concealed. And he drew near to the Philistine. Oh my goodness. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> All right. It's about to get interesting. I'm about to uh, really share something about how you can take them out. But first, let me say this, because there has been uh, many questions surrounding why did he get five stones? And some people have said, well, Goliath had four brothers. The truth is, is that that's close, but not quite right. I do believe there are a few scriptures. Let me take you to one that will clear this up concerning the five smooth stones. So let's just for a moment, let's jump over to second Samuel chapter 21. Jump with me. Second Samuel chapter 21. Praise God. And let's take a look at some of the giants. Okay. Let me grab a drink of some hot tea real quick. Now look at verse 16. 
Then Ishbi Binab, who was one of the sons of the giant. Okay, so there's one right there. Ishbi Binab. Now verse 18, here's another one. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai the Hushathite killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. So Saph is another one. So we have Ishbi Binab and we have Saph. Now, verse 19, again, there was war at Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jer Oregum, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was a war at Gath where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also born to the giant. So he... So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. These four, now watch this. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. What does that really mean? Well, surprisingly, some of the translations that get this right, uh, out of all of them, the one that nails it first is the NIV which is a modern translation, but they actually translate this correctly. Let me read this to you from the NIV. And this would be verse 22. These four, the four giants, now we have two of them that are named. Uh, we have Ish, uh, Ishbi Binab, we have Saf, and we know from other scriptures that the other one was Lami, and also the other one was Goliath. Now listen to this. These four were descendants of Rapha in Gath, and they all fell at the hands of David and his men. So we know that Goliath would have to be included in this group because Goliath fell at the hand of David. So these four were descendants of Rapha. Now let me read it to you from the New King James Version. These four were born to the giant. Here's the catch. The word giant there in the Hebrew is the word Rapha. And it's not a description uh, as in giant. It's actually a name. And when you see it as a name, then it makes sense. These four were born to Rapha, the giant. So Rapha is the father of the four sons. The four sons are all brothers. Those would be Goliath, Ishbi, uh, Ish Binab, Saf, in Lami. There's your four brothers, but there is a fifth, and that would be the father. So yes, David took five smooth stones. Why? Because he's not living that far from Philistine territory, and he knew, they all knew, there's five giants over there. There's the father, his name is Rapha, and there's four brothers, and uh, they're all giants, and they all got killed. Praise the Lord. Now, the Berean Standard Bible also gets it right. For these four descendants of Rapha in Gath fell at the hands of David and his servants. By the way, the Darby uh, translation gets it right. And many of the old translations, like the Wycliffe, translated back in the 1300s, they get it right. Geneva Study Bible gets it right. Uh, the Tyndale Matthew translation also translates it the same way. And it says that Rapha is the father. And the four sons, uh, those are the four sons. Well, they all got killed, all five of them. And I believe that's why, primarily why David had five smooth stones, just in case the brothers decided to jump in on the battle, as often happens in things like that. By the way, also, if you look it up in Strong's Concordance, you see that when it says these four were born to the giant, it basically says these four were born to Rapha. And it appears that Rapha is a name, not a description. Woo! Praise the Lord. Amen. So you had a giant dad, and he produced what? Four giant sons. Therefore, we know for certainty there were five giants. Now, how do you actually get down to killing these giants? Even if one gets a stone each, how does this really work? Let me give you an example of how this works so you can take it and apply it. Um, a couple of months back, I was in a local sporting goods store. And, you know, I don't know why I, I walked through this one section of the sporting goods store because it's not like it's anything I do or really I'm interested in. But I walked by all of these aluminum bats. And 
I just picked them up. And could you believe some of these bats that you use for softball or baseball? Now, I know in the uh, major leagues of baseball, you're not, you could only use a wooden bat like a Louisville slugger. But in college and high school and everything else, you can, lose a, you can play with aluminum bats. And many of these aluminum bats were over $500 each. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of technology baked into their design and stuff like that. So I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I couldn't help but think, wow, if you're living back in the medieval ages or something like that, and you didn't have a sword, if you had a bat, wow, you could probably do pretty good with one of these bats. So I picked one up and I kind of moved, swung it around. I thought, wow, this is, this is really a cool bat. And um, I kind of swung it, but the one I picked up was too light. Then I picked up another one that looked like a real whopper. Uh, I picked that one up. Uh, it was too heavy. And I start picking up all of these different bats, swinging them around. And I found one. I thought, but now uh, I don't play baseball, but I've ever played baseball. This is the perfect bat for me. Why? It just felt right. The weight was perfect. It was a great harmony with the current strength level I have, whatever that would be. And I thought this would be my bat that I would play with. So what if, a top-tier college player who's going to make it to the pros came in right after me, and he's looking for a bat. Would he grab the same bat that I selected for myself? No, although that's what most Christians do in the church today. Let me come back to that in just a moment. Now, listen to me very carefully. I want to talk about how to kill your giant as we're going to pull this from what David did against Goliath. Now, if I finished looking at the bats and I walked over to a different section in the store and now a top-tier college player comes in and he's different though. Let's say he's six foot five and weighs 250 pounds. He's already being scouted by pro baseball players as potentially the next home run king. Uh, and he goes in there and says, I need to get me a new bat. Uh, he's not going to pick the bat I picked. Why? He can, he's stronger. He could swing a bigger mass, a heavier bat, and he's going to go to something that suits his strength, his size, and all of that, and all of that's going to line up. He's going to end up with a different bat. Now, you need to think about that when you are carefully selecting your five smooth stones. The truth is you really only need one. That's all David needed was one for Goliath, and the others are just, hey, if this gets a little bit out of control because this is, the, you know, the group that has the giants. Uh, I've got some backup for them. But the truth is you only need one stone for one giant. And you only really need one bat. Um, even if you want another bat that's a different color, it's still going to be the same weight, same length, same size. It's going to be the bat that fits you. What if you lived in the 12th century where there's no guns and where life sometimes could be a little bit gory and brutal because if you were invaded, your nice peaceful village was invaded, uh, you either have to fight uh, or else they're going to come in and maybe just kill you and take all of your food and haul away your wife and children and who knows, who knows what. So you better fight, so you better learn how to use a sword. And so all the men would try to learn how to use a sword. But what if there are 50 swords laid out and you go up to pick a sword? Well, I, uh, Pastor Stephen, anyone will do. Well, not when you can choose. Now, David took his time and he selected five smooth stones intentionally. And you have to select your sword. Uh, you know, try them all out. Which one works for you? And you want to get the sword that feels best in your hand. It, uh, it shouldn't be off balance. It, you know, you have the, you have the blade cutting part, but you also have the handle. And the reason sometimes while the handle is long, is not just to get room to put two hands on there, but it's to counterbalance the weight of the blade. And all of that is baked into the sword technology, just like it's baked into get the right baseball bat. So you want to put in your hand, what works for you. And usually because we're all different, what works for you is not a one-size-fits-all. Okay, so now, now watch this. Whether it's Saul's armor that they tried to impose on you that doesn't actually fit you, 
You have to wear the armor that fits you. And if you don't wear armor, then that's just who you are, okay? You like fighting barefoot, and you don't have all the chain mail on. That, that's okay. If that's your thing, that's your thing. Uh, now, with swords, you got to get the one that's right for you. Baseball, you already know that you, well, that's what they do in, in baseball. The, the player is going to get the bat that they can swing the most powerful and the fastest without maintaining the right speed. And you'll notice that all the home run kings throughout the decades of baseball, um, the guys that hit the most home runs swung the heaviest bats. And that also says that those guys were also the strongest. And they, yes, they hit the most home runs. So there is a correlation with power and strength and balls going out of the park. And that comes down to basically who can swing the biggest bat. Woo, praise the Lord. And swing it fast. <laughs> All right, so here's what we do in the church. And tell me if this is not true, because you've probably seen it just like I do. Here's what we do in church. We all try to swing the same bat. Or you could say it like this. We all try to use the same sword. Or you could also say it like this. We all try to wear the same armor, because that's what Saul wears. I'm going to wear that too. Mm. Pastor Stephen, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, let me, say, let me say it like this. Watch this. Now watch this. We all try to swing the same sword. Are you ready for it? Let me, let me go back to the year like 2000. The year maybe 1998, 1999, 2000. It seemed like half the church was trying to swing the same sword. What sword was that? Mark 11, verse 23. Look at it. Let me show it to you. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I, I, I'm swinging that too. And it is a sword, right? You could cut the enemy with this if it's the sword that fits your hand. Don't, 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 don't slip off. Now, now, work with me. Concentrate with me just for a moment. I want to show you how to be a real, authentic giant killer. I'm going to show you how to kill giants. Now, watch this. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 or verse 22, people swung that one too. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Wow. And that's a sword. If it's, if it fits in your hand. So here's what the, here's what it seemed like half the church was doing. Uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, they were trying to wear, I won't say Saul's armor, they were trying to wear Kenneth Hagin's armor. Are you following me? Some of you that have been in the church for a few decades, okay, are you following me? Now, if this is new to you, just hang in there. I'll get it over to you too with the help of the Holy Spirit. But it seemed like in the late 90s, half the church was trying to wear Kenneth Hagin Sr.'s armor. Or they're, uh, even if they didn't wear his armor, they're trying to use his sword and what worked for him. Now, if you could catch the revelation of it and you could get the spirit of it into you, then you could swing it and you could get some good results. But the only problem was, is that that scripture became so, can I use, would you let me use the word popular? Okay, you know what I mean? That scripture became so popular that people were trying to swing it all throughout the Bible, excuse me, all throughout the body of Christ, but they weren't killing giants. Did you ever notice that? Or am I the only one that didn't quite? No, you, I know you did. You had a lot of, um, lot of believers swinging that sword, Mark chapter 11, verse 23, but they're not killing any giants. Why? That's like, that's like becoming a baseball player and you're grabbing somebody else's bat, but you can't swing it like they can, can you? Maybe that person was a heavyweight of faith and they're swinging a heavy bat and, and you're just swinging it out of what? Out of popularity. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. 
glory to God. Not taking anything away from the anointed words of Jesus, but it has to be anointed for you or else you're trying to wear armor that doesn't fit you. And you're putting it on anyhow because that's what everybody else is putting on. <laughs> and they expect you to wear it also. <laughs> now, if you were having to go into a real battle, again, let's go back to the 12th century. And you really do have to fight. I know it's gory and I know we don't do things like that today. Thank God. At least today, if you're going to get killed in war, you know, maybe you could just get blown up real quick or maybe with the modern day uh, guns and uh, all of this, you know, stuff that we have today, maybe you can get, get death over a whole lot quicker and phoom, it's over just like that. But, you know, back in the old day, you know, getting run through a, with a sword was a little more of an agonizing, brutalizing way to die. So if you wanted to live, you'd better get a sword to defend and protect yourself. And so if you were really good and serious about that, you're going to get the sword that uh, is right for you. You're not going to get a huge, long broadsword that a guy that's six foot eight is swinging around. You're going to get something that works for you. Why? Because you actually want to live and not die. And if you really do want to be a good baseball player, you're not going to swing the bat that that person is swinging because, first of all, you know you can't. You're going to get the bat that works for you. And you may not knock the ball out of the park, but you can at least get a double. Woo! Watch out. Now watch out. Watch out. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. By the way, I've always loved Mark chapter 11, verse 23, and I, I've taught on it myself. I've meditated on it myself. But you know what? I've never really killed a lot of giants with uh, verse 23. I do know one that I killed that was a real big one. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a big one. So I do know one, but I can't like list a whole bunch of them. But there is another scripture that I did find that in some ways says the same thing, but nevertheless, it's different. But it's the bat that, that I can swing and I feel really good about it. It's the armor that fits me. Would you like to see it? I'll take you to it. Hallelujah. Oh, Pastor Stephen, show it to me. And I'll, it's going to be the one that I use. Now, hold on just a moment. Let me show you one for me that's really, really good for me. Keeping in mind, you've got to find your own bat. You've got to find your own sword. You have to wear armor that fits you. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. It's similar, but it's different. But verse 20 has produced some amazing victories for me. I mean, I've, I've, I've ran giants through with this sword. And it, it works for me. Well, Pastor Stephen, though, we, we, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 23 is, we've got to learn that one. Did you ever notice this is a big Bible? Do you ever notice there's a lot of weapons? <laughs> we don't all have to fight with the same one. All right, now, Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, in other words, it doesn't take a lot. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain. Now it is similar to Mark chapter 11, verse 23, but it's still different. It's a different sword. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. That one, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, that one works for me like gold. I've used it so many times. I'm still using it today. <laughs> Why? That's the sword that fits in my hand. Woo, that's the sword that has made me a giant killer. And I'm in the process of killing some right now with it. Woo, praise the Lord. Amen. Well, Pastor Stephen, though, uh, that Mark chapter 11, verse 23, that's the one everybody uses. I would say it like this. That's the one everybody's trying to use. And became famous by a great minister who could certainly swing it. Uh, but for me, uh, what can I say? I never really connected with it. And I can't control that. This is the Holy Spirit that's causing the, the selection helping me to select my smooth stone to kill my Goliath. Mm -hmm. I've got some others in the shepherd's bag if we need to pull those out. But this is the one for me that works for me. And you need to find the one that works for you. I had a young man 
spirit-filled believer come up to me a couple days ago, very troubled. He said, Pastor Stephen, please pray. My sister has an awful disease that has attacked her body and is doing awful things to her. He told, told me what was taking place. It's doing awful things to her body. Surely that's the work of the devil. And he said, Pastor Stephen, would you please pray? I said, okay. And I could already tell. He's expecting me to pray a certain prayer. In other words, he's, he's almost like thought suggesting the armor of Saul. That I'm the, In other words, this is the way I'm supposed to pray. So the, I prayed a prayer that was totally, uh, it came to him from a way, he, I could tell by the look on his face when I prayed it, he was just like, I, I'm not connecting. Let me tell you what I pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for his sister living in another state. I'm not able to get my, I'm not able to get to her where I can lay hands on her and pray for her. And I, I would think that others probably can't reach her where she's at. But Heavenly Father, I pray that you send your word to her, a word that she can take and wage a good warfare against the enemy. Oh God, I thank you that your word will not return to her void. Give her that word in Jesus' name. Amen. And when I said amen, I looked at him and he looked, he looked so confused. He, he didn't know what I just prayed. I said, I said, now, I said, my brother, this is what you need to do. I said, you need to call your sister as soon as we get done with this conversation. And you need to tell her that although she is sick and what she is facing, the doctors say cannot be cured. And that was true. The doctor said, there's no cure. I said to him, if you will call her and tell her that she needs to get into the Bible and search for a scripture and all she needs is one. She needs to find one scripture to fight this giant with. And if she can find it, that one anointed scripture, that one anointed word from God, I said, she can kill that giant. He said, oh, he said, no, okay, I get it. I said, do you understand? He said, yes, I understand. See, now the prayer made sense to him. Now the prayer made sense to him. I said, all right. And I talked to him just a little bit more. Now I said, I said, preferably she will, she will search for a healing scripture because what does she need a healing? She does not need a scripture on who potentially the antichrist should be. Okay. We don't, this is not in time eschatology study. She, she's laying on a bed of sickness where the enemy has afflicted her with this vile sickness. She needs to get one smooth stone, pick it out of the brook. Here's the brook. She needs to go pick one stone out of this brook. And if she gets what she's comfortable with, if she gets what is that living word, if she gets what is that sharp two-edged sword, which is what God's word is, she can kill this enemy. She can kill this sickness, take it out with one stone, one word from God. I said, now you got it. He said, yes. I said, go call her on the phone right now. And he went and did. Now, will she do it? Will she do it? I hope so. After all, it's not that hard, is it? This is not complicated. You don't have to learn Hebrew and Greek, do you? You just have to get in the word and settle down. And all you need is one. Well, Pastor Stephen, David had five. I think we have a better understanding now why he had five. One for each of them, in case they all show up. Mm -hmm. But all you need is one to kill Goliath. And by the way, that one stone did kill Goliath. It, it says it does. It said it did in scripture. It says that he was dead. When that stone hit him, it sunk literally into the, it went through the, the skull and it went right into the brain. And it, it's a call in, in the military and in special ops, it's called a kill shot. That was the one kill shot. And when that uh, area is hit of the brain is hit, it shuts off the entire nervous system and he fell forward dead on his face. But as some of you know, who have actually been to the Valley of Elah, where this battle took place at, you had the Israelites on one hill, and you have the Philistines on the other hill, and Goliath meeting David down towards that center area of where the battle was. So to see that big giant fall, if you're standing up on that hill, uh, you, you really wouldn't know what happened, because that, that, um, that rock came out of that sling. It is normal 
for those rocks to come out of that sling. They have found those slings. They have found those stones from ancient times. It is very, very normal for a stone to come out going 150 miles per hour. And David, I believe there was a supernatural anointing on it by the Spirit of God, and it probably went into the head of, of Goliath uh, almost at like rifle-type speed. It wouldn't surprise me if it hit him at 600 miles an hour. But if you're standing at a distance and you see that, you're not even really what sure what took place, although he's already dead. So what did David do to make sure that everybody knows? He goes up to the dead body now of Goliath, who's fallen on his face, takes Goliath's own sword and cuts his head off. Okay, everybody knows now. <laughs> everybody knows now. And when he lifted that head up, total pandemonium in the enemy's camp. Now, one stone killed that giant. And the giant that would torment you, that's what Goliath was doing. He was tormenting the Israelite army day and night for um, 40 days. 40 always is a number that represents tests and trials. And so uh, it was over with at that moment. How? One stone, one word. This is all I'm trying to get across to you today. You need to find your stone. David picked it out of the brook on purpose. Find what works for you, not maybe what a certain group celebrates, although it's very powerful and that's good and God has blessed that. But that doesn't mean that's what you're supposed to use. You've got to find a bat that you can swing. You've got to find a sword that actually fits in your hand and you're like, yes, this, this is working for me. <laughs> and if it's not, don't act like it is. And you've got to wear the armor. You've got to fight in this battle with what fits you. Be yourself. Don't let people clone you in the same, oh, the most popular healing scripture? Well, you need to use this one right here. There's hundreds of them. Find your own. Praise the Lord. And that, my friends, though, is what I cannot do for you. You have to sit down with your Holy Bible and go into it. If you have a financial need, you need a financial miracle. Oh, oh, Pastor Stephen, send them to the book of Exodus, uh, excuse me, Genesis, and give them the scripture about Jehovah Jireh. That'll do it for them. Well, maybe it did it for somebody else, but you might read it. It might not do hardly anything for you. You've got to find the scripture that the Holy Spirit gives you. And all you need is one. And work it, work it, work it, work it, work it. And you'll kill that giant with it. You'll kill that giant with it. And here's what happens. When you sling it, that is the equivalent of you speaking it. When you speak that one word that God gave you with great authority, because God's word brings faith. When you speak it, that is the slinging or the hurling of that stone. You have to sling it. You have to hurl it. And you do that by standing up and speaking it. And you say, sickness in the name of Jesus, and you call that sickness, that thing that's trying to kill you. Sickness in the name of Jesus, let's say it's lupus. Lupus in the name of Jesus, you will not kill me. For God's word says, and you quote that word and you hit that giant of lupus, or you hit that giant of cancer, and you hit it with that powerful word. Mm -mm. And the word, yeah, it'll kill it, just like it did Goliath. But it's got to be a, it's got to be the stone that you can hurl. Mm -mm. So you have to find your stone and then you have to sling it. This is not rocket science, is it? You have to find your stone and then you have to sling it and you sling it by opening up your mouth and speaking it. Praise God. Lift up your hands. It's just that easy. That's how you become a giant killer. Lift up your hands. Father, I pray for everybody that's watching right now that they find their smooth stone. And then once they find it, that they not just celebrate it and look at it, but they put it in the sling and they sling it with the word of their mouth continually, daily, until that giant falls dead. And I thank you that it will. Father, I thank you that your word will not return to them void praise you, O oh God. It's full of power. And I thank you that you're going to give it to them. And right now I pray that they do this, that as they search, 
that it will not be a long search, but they will find that life-giving scripture, that they will find that giant-killing scripture, that they will find their smooth stone. And they're probably going to pick up a few others along the way, and they can put those in their shepherd's pouch. Now, Father, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As they seek you, I thank you that you're going to give them that hot word. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo, praise God. So jump into the Word. Take some time. You know, that's what the Sabbath was for, to take a day off. Sure, the Jews would go to the synagogue and do what? Hear the Word taught, okay? And then, you know, go home and, uh, you know, talk about these things, about what they heard. In other words, it's, it's the meditation upon the Word. Praise the Lord. Go get your smooth stone. All you need is one. Praise God. God's moving right now. God's moving right now. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now, if you're watching and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the number one thing that you need to do is make your peace with God. And you need to surrender your life to the Lord and step into the life that He has for you. Okay? Now, I want to pray for you. And also, if you perhaps used to be a believer and a follower of Jesus, but you fell into sin. Maybe you fell away from God, and you're not where you need to be. You need to come back to the Lord right now. And I want you to pray this prayer also. Let us pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You're the great champion. You've never lost a battle. Jesus, save me right now. Wash all of my sin away. And write my name in your book of life. Step into my life today and lead me and guide me. From this day forward, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Now, I know you're, you're excited to go find your smooth stone, but before you do, let's take Holy Communion. Let's work the Word together today. Grab some unleavened bread, grab a little cracker, and grab some grape juice, and let's pray. We're going to take communion. If you are a believer in Jesus, you can take communion with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it. And through this prayer, we set it apart as being holy. And we thank you. This is now the body and the blood of Jesus. Father, as we receive the body of Jesus, we thank you that you've got a bat for us to swing. You've got a sword for us to yield. You've got the right armor for us to wear. We thank you that you've got a word in, your, in the Bible for us. Oh, God, help us to find it. Illuminate it to us by your Holy Spirit, and we receive it. Now, Father, right now we receive the Lord's body, his flesh. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's partake together. Praise the Lord. God's got an electrifying word for you. Mm -mm. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Just as the uh, two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, and their hearts burned in them as Jesus opened the scriptures up to their understanding, I thank you, Father, that you're going to open a scripture up to uh, those that are searching you uh, searching your word for that word. You're going to open a scripture up to them. It's going to cause an inward burning. They're going to say, that's my smooth stone. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus and its mighty cleansing power. Let's receive the Lord's blood now. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let me put up the giving links now, my friends, on the screen. And please continue to be prayerful and mindful that on Sunday, October the 1st, that is the Feast of Tabernacles, the great feast that was celebrated uh, in the Word of God. Uh, there were three primary feasts, and all of Israel celebrated them. That would be Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And we're celebrating that on Sunday, October 1st, and we're going to honor God on, with a very special offering on that day. We're told in God's Word, don't come before Him empty-handed, and let's give God a very sacred offering that day. I want you to bring an offering into the work of the ministry here, and we're going to use the giving on that 
special day to pay off the remaining balance on the 14.5 acre field of dream property where we will be building our future world-class television studio. Praise God. So sow your best seed. Do something special. Many of you, God is even calling you to do something sacrificial. Amen. Give God your best. And I'm believing that God's going to do some very powerful miracles and blessings in your life. So either mail in or go online either on October 1st or anytime before and get your best seed in. Praise the Lord. I know many of you, you're pulling your best seed together and you're going to sow it either on or just before that day. God bless you as you're getting that ready. I know God's going to do great things for you. Praise the Lord. Now, before I say goodbye today, and before you go on search for your your smooth stone, let me uh, close out and uh, give a little promo video that my friends in London created for the upcoming London conference. I'm going to be in London ministering in September. I want to see you. If you're in the UK, come on out. Praise God. Jump into these meetings. They are going to be very powerful in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Check out this video. And as always, I look forward to seeing you back again real soon. Bye-bye. Peculiar People Ministries invites you to a prophetic conference from the 22nd to the 24th of September 2023 with host Apostle Andy Aze, Senior Pastor of Peculiar People Ministries and Guest Minister Apostle Stephen Brooks. I step out of simplicity in my thinking, in my actions, in my plans, in my givings, in the name of Jesus. So they went out and preach that people should repent. We need to still preach that today. That made a few of you a little bit nervous, but I just read from the Bible. Venue 100 New Road, Dagenham RM96YJ. Friday 22nd, time 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Saturday 23rd, 12 noon to 4 p.m. Sunday 24th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Peculiar People Ministries invites you to a prophetic conference from the 22nd to the 24th of September 2023 with Apostle Andy ASA and Guest Minister Apostle Stephen Brooks. Come and be blessed.